G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as you know, we have been covering something very significant that's unfolding to the north of us in the nation of Indonesia. The governor of the Indonesian capital in Jakarta, he has denied at the start of his blasphemy trial that he intended to insult the Quran. As outside the court, there were rival rallies being staged. I'm talking about AHOC, or the man who's known as AHOC, the first Christian governor in Jakarta in more than 50 years, who's standing trial in Indonesia for the charge of blasphemy. Well, let's get an update because the trial has begun. Professor Peter Riddell back with us. He's vice principal at the Melbourne School of Theology, teaches on Islamic studies and Christian-Muslim relations. And Peter joining us for an update on what's happening with issues at the trial. Hello, Peter. Welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Thank you. Peter, day one, the trial has begun. Your impressions on what's happened so far? What uh, what do you glean from uh, seeing the very fact that uh, there is a Christian who is before the courts in Indonesia charged with blasphemy? Yes. Well, as, look, as far as the actual proceedings of day one, in a sense, it was uh, it went according to what one would have predicted. Um, the day began with the prosecutors uh, reading out their charges, um, accusing the governor of, of blasphemy. And um, he and his lawyers in turn responded um, uh, in tears as far as the, the governor was concerned at one point during his response. Um, so there's lots of emotion in this trial. The, clearly the governor himself uh, is feeling uh, the, um, his, uh, the vulnerability of his situation very keenly. And the prosecutors and their, uh, their supporters outside, they're, they're moving into what I, they hope will be a successful uh, charge of blasphemy. Peter, this case is being seen as a test of religious tolerance in Indonesia. Is that really a fair description of what is actually unfolding there? Well, you know, Neil, I'm reminded of a, going to a, a, a play at the theatre. And, of course, in a play, you have often you have one person sitting under the spotlight uh, and all the focus falls on that person. And then, of course, when they turn the lights up, you find all of these other extra details uh, and situations going on. And that's exactly what we're looking at at the moment. The, the trial of the Jakarta governor on blasphemy, of course, it concerns him and his particular case. But there are much bigger issues going on. Um, one of the key issues, I think, is uh, Indonesia's rising um, Islamist fervour among a more militant minority um, and the risk that um, uh, will, is connected with this charge of blasphemy if, if it's actually, if, if the Jakarta governor is actually convicted, the priesthood that that can set for blasphemy trials being used to, to silence discussion and, and censorship. So there are some big issues that surround this whole particular case of this uh, this trial. And of course there is what appears to be a no-win situation for AHOC because uh, if he is acquitted of this charge uh, then there'll be rioting in the streets 
or there potentially could be. And, uh, of course, if he's convicted, uh, people will say, why would he be convicted on that and he'll be jailed? The likelihood is, though, that he's probably going to be jailed. Is that the way you see things unfolding? Uh, Yes, I do, unfortunately. Um, The chances of him being acquitted are fairly slim. Um, uh, The uh, blasphemy trials held over the last uh, 10 years or, or so in Indonesia, which number over 50 have all had uh, the accused found guilty. Um, the result, if he, in the unlikely event of him being acquitted, there would certainly be restiveness and some violence from uh, the Islamist groups that are, that are wanting to, to um, pursue this case. So uh, it is a no-win situation, Neil. Uh, it's quite concerning. Um, I think uh, what's being put to test is Indonesia's uh, democratic um, era of reform since 1998, um, and uh, there are the stakes are very high. Now there is a election that's coming up for the governorship in Jakarta in the new year, and this does seem to be timed to be politically motivated. Uh, what are the political motivations that you see uh, from those sides that are pushing this particular case? Well, again, you see, um, I I think that this particular case, while deserving of the attention it's receiving, and it definitely does deserve it, nevertheless, it masks much deeper issues. What it masks is is an ongoing struggle which actually goes back to the foundation of Indonesia in the 1940s, an ongoing struggle between um, what would be more better term nationalist groups uh, who want to develop an Indonesia that is based on the national philosophy of, of multi-faith, of, um, of democratic institutions, on the one hand, against Islamist groups that want to define Indonesia according to the traditional view of an Islamic state based on Sharia law. When Indonesia was founded in the 1940s, that struggle was at the very forefront, and there was a revolution by Islamist groups which lasted for over 10 years, which was eventually suppressed. With the democratic reforms of the last um, 15 or so years since 1998, those same Islamist forces, later generations, have come to the fore and they are trying to regain the victory, regain the upper hand. So this, this particular case is a window into an ongoing struggle about Indonesia's very identity. Is it to be a modern, pluralist, democratic state or is it to be a conservative, Islamist, Sharia-based state? That's what this is about. And is this also a window into the standard procedure for Islamic control in nations uh, that Christians cannot assume positions of leadership over Muslims. That is the standard window that we're looking at? Undoubtedly. The forces which want to bring down AHOC and ultimately want to bring down President Joko Widodo are the forces that are for creating an Islamist state based on Sharia law are by definition opposed to the Muslim community being led by non-Muslims. That is part and parcel of what a Sharia-based Islamic State is all about. And that's that's their agenda, ultimately. And I imagine because this is going to be so polarising for people in Indonesia, with upcoming elections next year, that's going to colour the campaigning on all sides, how the outcome of this trial will actually affect the way people will campaign and the way that people ultimately will vote. 
Yes, indeed. Um, I, I think what, what we're seeing is some measure of frustration on the part of the conservative Islamic groups to the fact that they are unable to assert themselves in the democratic process. Um, since the fall of Suharto in 1998, there have been four elections and very the conservative Islamic parties have, while they have um, gained seats which give them some influence through a kind of balance of power situation, they are nowhere near winning at the ballot box. So their response is to use um, standover militant bullying tactics and that's what we're seeing. So what I expect to see in the Jakarta governor elections in February of next year is, is conservative Islamist groups getting out there in the streets and trying to um, use standover tactics to get their way to support uh, their candidates, um, at least to um, try and influence the outcome. Does President Joko Widodo become vulnerable because of what's happening? He's ordered this very transparent trial. It needs to be transparent, otherwise there's all sorts of room for uh, conspiracy theories to arise if people don't like the outcome. I I imagine that's the reason for the transparency, but but is the president actually quite vulnerable with the outcome of this trial? Well, uh, the... President Widodo, uh, he is vulnerable. Um, he's vulnerable to the, this continu- these continuing pressure tactics used by Islamist groups, which uh, at the moment are focused on um, his, his former deputy, the, the governor of Jakarta. Um, these groups are determined to bring him down. Um, so, yes, he is indeed vulnerable. One of the things that's most concerning in all of this, I think, is the extent to which the standover tactics used by the conservative Islamic groups uh, have really force the police to um, to play along actually not not to not to resist but to go along with their standover tactics for example the charges against the Jakarta governor they're actually ridiculous um, bottom the bottom line is they have no foundation but the police under pressure from the conservative Islamic groups felt that they had to lay charges and we now have a blasphemy trial as a, as a result so um, the whole system is vulnerable uh, to pressure from uh, these Islamist groups. And uh, it's, it's going to be concerning and interesting to see how it all pans out. Professor Peter Riddell is our guest. He's Vice Principal at the Melbourne School of Theology and expert on Islam and especially when it comes to uh, Southeast Asian nations and uh, Indonesia. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. We're taking a little time to get some insights as the trial continues. It started yesterday. AHOC, the governor in the Indonesian city of Jakarta, is on trial under a blasphemy charge. We're taking some time to try and understand what's going on. It is a transparent trial that the president in Indonesia has ordered, uh, but it is a very polarising time for those who are in Indonesia. Our guest is Professor Peter Riddell. He's vice principal at the Melbourne School of Theology, talking through these issues. Uh, Peter, these are uh, complicated issues because if we talk about the charge that AHOC, the governor of Jakarta in Indonesia, is up on, it's a charge of blasphemy. And this has been allowed to creep into the uh, Indonesian law. How significant is it that there is that element of law that has a blasphemy charge against people who might speak against Islam? Well, it's uh, potentially quite significant, Neil. Um, the blasphemy, Indonesian blasphemy law was brought in in 1965, so it's been around for a long time. And 
Um, between 1965 and 1998, there were isolated charges of blasphemy, but it's really been ramped up since 1998, um, with uh, many cases of blasphemy being levelled uh, in the more democratic period. The, the problem with democracy, of course, is that not only does democracy allow freedom of speech, but to everybody, it allows freedom of speech to those who would actually who are essentially anti-democratic, and that's what we're seeing in, in this case. So I'm concerned with the sudden use of the blasphemy law um, over the last 20 years or so to clamp down, to close down freedom of speech and what it entails in terms of the ultimate goal of the groups that are pursuing it. I guess there would be those who are saying, where to from here for Indonesia? They find themselves in a very, very tight corner because Indonesia's constitution guarantees freedom of religion. And uh, that, of course, uh, uh, is thrown into turmoil when you have this idea of a blasphemy law. How do you see the, the constitutional issues in Indonesia? Well, when, uh, when Indonesia was founded back in the 1940s, there was a struggle at that time about how to define the Indonesian nation. And there were essentially two main groups, two main arguments. One group was saying we need to define it based on the principles of what they call Panchasila. That's a five, uh, five principles, a state philosophy of five principles, which is based on multi-faith, on recognition of Islam and Christianity and Buddhism, Christianity and both Catholicism and Protestant forms. So acceptance of all different religions, um, that's the fundamental approach of the state philosophy. But against that argument were the group who wanted to establish the Sharia state. Now, the, throughout the early years of Indonesia's foundation, the first 10 years, there was a, a struggle, a violent struggle between these two groups. And the forces which advocated the foundation of the modern democratic state based on liberal democratic ideals won the day. And for 40 years or so, um, the Sharia-based forces, the conservative Islamic forces, they, they were so effectively suppressed. However, they have reappeared in force since 1998, since the fall of Suharto. So what we're finding is that the struggle that was fought back in the late 1940s and 1950s in Indonesia is now being, um, it's reappeared in the 2000s in the more democratic period. Blasphemy will be one of the key um, instruments used by conservative Islamic forces to get their way. So I expect to see many more of these kinds of trumped-up charges levelled in years to come. And so I imagine on that ground, uh, Indonesia is on a track to becoming more Islamized. Well, Indonesia is certainly on a track to be to becoming more unsettled and more polarised. Um, the question is, to what extent will the, the forces for um, liberal democracy, will they be able to assert themselves? The, the forces that are represented by current President uh, Jokowi, um, and to what extent um, the uh, security forces around him, the governmental forces, the political elite, to what extent they will be willing to stand up to the uh, militant Islamic groups, which are using pressure tactics and threatening violence to get their way. So I certainly expect to see more unrest and more tension in Indonesia and more instability in years to come. 
Well, that trial will continue and no doubt there'll be a lot of things to talk about as things continue to unfold and we'll be following along those events in Vision National News. Professor Peter Riddell, Vice Principal at the Melbourne School of Theology and uh, you can certainly be in touch with Peter through the Melbourne School of Theology. Uh, Peter, thanks so much for uh, updating us on the way that you see that trial unfolding. Appreciate you being with us on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.